0: Welcome to Downstage Center, a production of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. We're delighted to have as, as our guest, I guess you'd say, the principal characters of one of the hit shows on Broadway right now. It's called Avenue Q. Stephanie DeBruzzo plays Kate Monster, and, mm-hmm. uh, who is a kindergarten teaching assistant, That's right. character, and Lucy, who's kind of a floozy or a vixen.
1: Yeah, Lucy the floozy would have been a good name <laughs> for her, too, if it had been a sort of taken place in the Old West.
0: <laughs> and John Tartaglia, who plays two roles also, Princeton, kind of a preppy college graduate, I guess. Yes. And Rod described in the playbill as a Republican investment banker.
2: Yes, who's, <laughs>
0: who's closeted as well. So. Yeah. Both of you have been with Sesame Street, Stephanie, for 11 seasons mm-hmm. and you, John, for eight seasons. You've both been in uh, the Encores Carnival show, yeah. which I saw you were terrific as puppeteers oh, thank in that you. show. Thank you. You've both done TV. John, you've been in Animal Jam and Bear in the Big Blue House. And Stephanie, if I read your credits correctly, Shop uh, Sheep in the Big City uh-huh. and uh, Book of Pooh. Uh-huh. This is quite a, a novel show. Can you, in a, in a couple words, tell the radio listening audience what Avenue Q is all about?
1: Boy, if there was it's, a way to describe the show in a couple hard, of yeah. words, our PR our well, department would have a really easy time. <laughs> <laughs> Much
2: happier. Uh, well, it's it's a musical, um, and it's uh, the way that that it's kind of become the catchphrase is the place you go when there's nowhere else to live in New York City. It's a it's an outer borough, uh, the farthest out on the subway you can go, and um, it's basically a place where people and puppets live together, and and there's you know monsters and people and and you name it.
1: The show itself is pretty much about life in your 20s and discovering what happens when you become disillusioned with life, when life does not quite turn out the way you thought it would.
0: And even though it does have puppet characters, I must caution listeners, if you're coming to New York to see a show, don't bring the little kids. No, it's not for kids. No, 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 no. No, they they do
1: all sorts of dirty Dirty things—they're dirty little puppets.
0: <laughs> it's been described as kind of a you know a variation of uh, Sex in the City meets The Simpsons meets uh, God knows what else.
1: Oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, well, it's
0: it's hard because you know it, the thing is is that it, it's got that edge to it, but it's also kind of the
2: traditional boy meets girl mm-hmm. musical in many ways, which is funny because people don't think that coming in, they think it's just going to be a dirty little puppet show, um, which it has elements of that, of course. But, I think it's um, a,
1: yeah, I think it's a musical that's been really infused with a lot of pop culture that people our age have been raised with have grown up with have been influenced by mm-hmm. so you know we have all been influenced by the simpsons in south park and sex and the city and all these really archetypal shows that push the envelope and do mm-hmm. that and i think this is one of the one of the first not the first but one of the first times that it's really sort of infused itself into a a standard Broadway musical.
0: And it's done in such a bright, cheerful manner. You just leave the theater feeling so good having seen it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's very uplifting, and a lot of
2: people, uh, I always love hearing that after the show. You know, people say, I say, what's your favorite part? Expecting them to say, oh, the, you know, the puppet's doing dirty things or, or this song or that song. But actually their favorite part is often how uplifting it, it leaves you and the hopefulness that it kind of gives you as you're, as you're watching the show. <laughs>
3: But it's interesting for you guys because you also you come out of the world of puppetry and mm-hmm. all of these shows that are the reference points mm-hmm. for some of the styles mm-hmm. that that have become mixed mastered into Avenue Q. And But you also still, on occasion, work on those shows, do you
2: not? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. It, well, you know, the, the the one question I get all the time is, how does Sesame Street feel about Avenue Q? And, you know, the thing is, is that I think that they realize it's kind of a love letter. I mean, if anything, it kind of puts for two and a half hours, you're kind of back in that place in your childhood where you felt safe and comfortable and you, you you know, you believe these creatures were real and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people say, I never thought a puppet would make me cry or I never thought a puppet would make me laugh so hard or, you know, because people forget that it's not that there's something behind that. There's a person behind the puppet. And for the first time, you kind of get to see that person and see what we're doing. And, you know, and you you kind of develop a relationship not only with the puppet characters, but with us on stage with them.
1: All of the writers and producers of Sesame Street and many people from Henson and, Pretty much all of the human actors on Sesame Street and most of the puppeteers have all come to see the show, you know, as our friends to support Mm -hmm. us. And not only are they happy for us, but they they thoroughly enjoyed the show. They said it was just it was so much fun. It was something that I mean, on Sesame Street, we we play with these characters all the time when the cameras are not rolling. You know, we (laughs) have fun with them we don't do anything cruel but we have fun i mean the the, the puppets french kissing dates back years <laughs> i've heard years rumors of a great
3: outtake reel from sesame street have have in the reels. and i mean some of them yeah. aren't
1: necessarily blue or dirty but they're they're, they're that they're in that same spirit of fun mm-hmm. and and we do rap party skits um at our at our rap party there's always a big muppet skit and
2: It's very much for adults.
1: Yeah, one of them was sort of the Muppets on the island of Dr. Moreau. One of them was like the 12 Days of Christmas, but it's what happens when the puppets are like in boxes after the show ends. (laughs) Um, One one can
0: only imagine. Yeah, exactly.
1: The lyrics are like, muscles atrophying, sleeping in our filth, you know, things (laughs) like that. (laughs) I mean, we don't take it too seriously. We respect it and we honor what it is, but... No one in children's television can take themselves too seriously.
2: And also Jim, apparently, Jim Henson, uh, to my understanding, wanted to do a Broadway show with puppets, and that was something that he's al- he always wanted to do. And um, at that point, there wasn't really a, a belief that that could happen. You know, it was kind of like a puppet show f- on Broadway for adults. Uh-huh. You know, so the fact that we're kind of carrying that, that on um, in some way, it, it m- means a lot to me, you know, because I think it's something he never got the chance to do, and we're kind of carrying that out.
1: Well, and also, quite frankly, Jim Henson's earliest work was risque, was violent. I mean, a skit always ended up with a puppet exploding or being eaten.
0: Well, both of you are too young to remember the Ed Sullivan show when he would appear. I've seen
1: the Ed Sullivan. That's out on DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my husband is actually on the board of the Jim Henson Legacy, which Uh uh, uh, tries to perpetuate Jim's image as an individual artist. So I've seen a lot of these short films, pieces, early stuff, and it's it's great it's really cutting he was so ahead of his time as a filmmaker as an artist and um, it's it's some fun stuff but none of it is squeaky clean Mm -hmm. by any means I mean he became an overnight success after 15 years by doing Sesame Street. But all of these, uh, he did appearances on Steve Allen, Jack Parr. Mm -hmm. uh, He did the... uh, Rolf was on the Jimmy Dean show. Some of that stuff got... You know, he would always tease Jimmy about his love life. And there are all sorts of uh, things that were a little, you know... Well, back in the 60s, the age of satire. So uh, what, what I like about Avenue Q is that we're kind of maybe bringing some of that satire back. Because... Satire is sort of something that's, I don't know, kind of gotten lost and homogenized along mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can bring a little bit of that mm-hmm. edge back.
0: Well, you're both too young to have met Jim Henson because he passed away a number of years ago. Yes.
1: Yeah, I was in college when he yeah. passed away.
0: I was, I won't say where I was, but <laughs> he I was, was in like college. in Pampers. <laughs> so you, you, you <laughs> never actually, actually met him. I but <laughs> I, I actually had the, the, the fun and the pleasure of working with him for about two weeks. It was at a local TV station in New York City where I was working oh. back in. I guess it was in the 70s. Oh, cool. And they, uh, Henson rented the studios to do a German version of Sesame Street called Sesamstrasse. Yes, oh, that was oh, the, the first years yeah. of Street. Yeah. And they built the entire Sesame Street set, and they did it in German. And I recall talking to Henson really and to Frank Oz in person. And here were two guys, my height. I'm six foot five. They were yeah. like very tall you guys. You would have been a great puppeteer. And each of them yeah. had a puppet on his hand, and I would find myself talking to the guy's hand. Yeah. And they'd be talking in Character, whatever mm-hmm. it was, Miss Piggy or Kermit, wh- whoever the characters mm-hmm. were, I felt so silly talking to a guy's hand, yet you really felt you were talking to the character no. because they were the character. He and this was it. not on television. This was behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Well, we get that so a lot fun. now with, with Avenue Q because we, you know a lot of times when we've done pu- publicity for the show,
2: we've used the characters. Uh, and uh, with my, with Rod, who does a lot of the publicity that I do. Um,
0: Rod, Rod is the, the head puppeteer who created many of the characters. No, no. Right? Rod is no, 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 Rod, the,
3: Rod, the character. Rod, 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 Rod is the, the character. The oh, Rod. Okay. That's Rod. That's Rod. the character. All Rick. Those <laughs> <of red. laughs>
1: no okay. one's ever confused Rick and Rod before. That's funny, I like
3: that. Well, that'll get a laugh some, back. Some Freudian, yeah, exactly. right?
2: Something Freudian. There. yes, there exactly. might be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, no. you were saying, um, but no, I was just saying that, that that you know it's it's kind of fun to take Rod out of the element and and you know I did an uh, I did the weather with Rod here in New York a couple of months ago and it was so funny because the weatherman turned to me afterwards and said I never for a minute thought that he wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about puppets. People just, mm-hmm. you know, they instantly believe the characters and it's kind of like it, it's a compliment to you as the performer because it means you're doing your job right. Um, but there's something very forgivable about it. And I think that they, on an educational level, puppets have actually um, been known to help uh, children who are non-responsive come out of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, children who have uh, developmental disabilities come out of that. So it's really kind of interesting to, to see the power that, the, that this one piece of cloth and foam can have.
1: I remember when I was in college first dabbling with puppetry and built the oh the worst looking puppets you ever saw but (laughs) um i would sort of test out the characters on my friends around the dorm and i would see these cynical 20 year olds who've seen it all thought they knew it all talking to the puppet they weren't Mm. looking at me (laughs) and they knew me i mean it wasn't like i was some stranger they were my friends and yet they totally believed in whatever piece of crap i had on the end of my arm and i thought wow If I can make these people believe, there's something to this. There's something really, I don't know, just... I, I don't like using the word magical but it's just it's amazing.
0: It's powerful. It, it,
1: it's amazing yeah. the suspension of disbelief that immediately happens when you put well, a I I, on I your should arm.
0: point out to the listeners who have not seen the show perhaps that all of you are totally visible on stage. Yes. It's mm-hmm. not like a puppeteer hiding under a stage with a hand up above the no, stage. No, no, no that's no, no. a first too. Yeah. No,
2: the, I mean, well, I think that, and the main reason for that was not only is is it just a great theatrical v- A visual treat for the audience but also because you know with uh with these this kind of puppetry in a theatrical form you know we have an 800 seat theater so you have 800 different points of view as opposed to when you're working with on a television show where you have a camera that that tells the audience where to look and what the puppet is thinking you know on camera where you have one one shot Mm -hmm. you can turn the puppet a certain way and it looks like he's thinking or you you know you can put his, his head down it looks like it's upset in theater something that may look one way to one audience member doesn't look the other way to the person on stage right. Right. So um, by being able to see us and that we're performing along with the characters and we're acting along with the characters, if they're a little confused, the audience member can switch to our face and it kind of gives you a choice of what to look at. You're not forced to only look at the puppet. You can look at at us too or you can look at both of us or, you know, it's kind of up to you.
1: I always say the actor the puppeteer is actually our faces are acting for the puppets eyes filling in those blanks but quite frankly the the other thing is just logistically digging ditches for puppeteers Mm -hmm. um would have been costly ridiculous this allows us full range of movement we can go all over the stage um me and johnny and rick and jen can look and jordan and natalie so if there are any problems on stage we can communicate with our eyes um there are a lot of it just all sort of came serendipitously. It, yeah. it had stemmed from the readings uh, that we had in the show early on in, in the show's history where we didn't try to hide because it's a reading. Mm-hmm. And everybody commented on how much they enjoyed seeing the puppeteers and how much it added to the performance. So it just sort of it was a happy accident. Mm-hmm. And then it became then we realized when we did the off-Broadway version how necessary it became. It really None was. of us had ever thought about our faces being necessary to help communicate what the puppet is feeling until we staged the show. I think well, also-
3: in fact, when you were in development on the show, this, people came to look at it and say, what can we do with this show? Where is this show going to be? There was really a question of, well, you, you you can't have the people walking around holding the puppets. No one will buy that. Mm-hmm. And it's
2: actually turned out to be in our favor, because it seems like people take the show a little more seriously, because you can see us. Uh, I've had people say to me after the show, "I was I was thinking, when I heard that this was a puppet show, or a Broadway show with puppets in it, I should say. Um, they often would picture literally a booth mm-hmm. with people sticking their hands out, you right, know, right. like the traditional puppet theater. And and they said that they they weren't ready to take that seriously. And I don't know if that's if that's just you know a, a, a taboo that we have in this country or not. But I think that you know having being able to see us and making us as much a part of the show as the puppets are um, adds just a little bit more, maybe
3: even more of an adult level to the show. Well, you and, and interesting you're fighting though it wouldn't apply to listeners of this station um there are certainly people who look at musical comedy and say I don't buy musical comedy yeah. nobody would stop mm-hmm. and break out into song right. let al- people hear about puppets and they immediately say oh it's for kids it's not for grown-ups mm-hmm. so to have the two of them together the story that you just had Stephanie, about how people buy the puppets in yep, an odd way counteracts the, you just buy the total artificiality. There
1: of it. are only two places where people buy characters springing out into song mid-dialogue. One of them is puppets, one of them is animation. I'm sure if someone could figure out a way to get animated characters on a stage, that's what's going to come next. <laughs> because, yeah, musicals are different than the way they were 40, 50 years ago where that was a convention and people saw... Even the musical film... Has changed because it had to change because people are more savvy because musicals are not appealing to the nine to five businessman anymore. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting to hear people who come to the show. I've had this a lot. I hate musical comedy. I hate puppets. I loved your show. (laughs) Now tell me what about our show isn't puppets and musical comedy that you loved about it? You know, there's no explanation. There's no rational explanation or formula. You break
3: down their barriers.
2: Well, Jeff Marks, one of our composers, he he actually, it's interesting you brought that up about people not buying people singing and things like that, because that's the reason the show was written, was that Jeff Marks and Bobby Lopez, our composers, when they met, they decided that people were not buying musicals anymore. They Like as, as Stephanie said, you don't buy a human singing on stage as much anymore. And so they said, well, what's the one thing that, that, that they do? Oh, well, look at the Muppets. You know, when Miss Piggy burst out into a song in the middle of a film, you don't think, why is she singing? You think, oh, it's Miss Piggy. That makes sense. So they decided to write their own musical for that reason. And I, I think, you know, another reason that people seem to, to buy even more is the fact that this show takes place now. It's one of the few musicals that takes place. There's no, there's no secret land. There's no secret time. There's no other country. It takes place you know, pretty much almost anywhere you could imagine right now. I mean, yes, we make references to New York City, but if you were to take those out, it could still take place in any town USA. And I think there's very few musicals that take place in the present about present day life. You know, we talk about, you know, mixtape. We talk about, you know, lifestyles the internet. that are, Yeah, the internet. Things like that. I mean, you know, there is very, f- there are very few musicals, I believe, that take place right now. Um, so I think that that speaks to people, too. I think that people are...
1: Except for musicals that were, that were current in the 60s.
2: Right, right. That are and, revived
1: now, like How to Succeed right, right, right. and such.
2: Yeah, so a I mean, but I mean, like, you know, plan. as far as like most musicals, I mean, that's why we have so many revivals and things like that. I mean, if you look at Broadway, a lot of shows take place, you know, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. or they take place in a different country or a different, or even a fantasy land of some sort. So the fact that that this is a show that really takes place now, I think it doesn't make the I don't doesn't make the the um, average theater go average theater goer or someone who doesn't go to theater oftentimes have to imagine too far, you but, know.
1: And what's interesting about that, it, you you say that, and it really kind of just occurred to me that maybe what people want is something familiar that they can identify with and relate to, so that when someone breaks into song. You know, it's something that it's less about them breaking into song and more about them expressing an emotion that maybe somebody identifies with.
0: Well, also you deal with some very adult and very human um frailties yeah. and subjects. You deal with sexuality, mm-hmm. you deal with sex, you yes. deal with racism, you mm-hmm. deal with any number of things, but in a lighthearted way that we as an audience can recognize our own frailties, mm-hmm. our own foibles and kind of laugh at it. It's you kind have of satire. To. But it's in such a bright, sunny, happy sort of a way, you leave the theater feeling really good about it. (laughs) Well, you know, everyone's a little bit
2: racist, which is one of the songs in our show. Um, You know, it's one of those songs that that it's kind of a litmus test every night to see how, how the audience is feeling. Sometimes it gets huge laughs right away, and sometimes it takes a while, and sometimes it doesn't get a great reaction. And part of the reason I think of that is, I think that happens, is because people are are so conscious of that mo- at that moment because they might think that that's true but they're afraid to laugh out loud to acknowledge it and there's a lot of moments in our show that are like that mm-hmm. where, where it's almost like we, we say something that everyone else is kind of afraid to say or we say something that maybe you shouldn't say um, and, and it's kind of wonderful to watch an audience you know 800 different people with different chemistries and, and, and biological makeups, how they all work off of each other and relate to each other. And I think that there's something really joyous about the fact that people come to our show and not only are you just entertained, but maybe it makes you think a little bit.
1: And I think a lot of people at that point of the show aren't expecting to be personally invested mm-hmm. in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, most, a lot of people go because they want to get lost in someone else's story and just watch and, and be passive. And that's sort of the part of the show where people begin to be a little more active. And I'm not racist. I'm that. Well, maybe that's right. I guess they're true. Oh, I've thought oh, you know, oh I, I thought that. Oh, I thought that one time. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's sort of takes people by surprise for more than one reason. The material takes them by surprise, but also the fact that, oh, my God, I'm starting to think about myself in relationship to these characters, in relationship to this subject. And uh, it's it's a very participatory show in that sense.
0: And what also takes them by surprise, I think, is that the two of you and everybody else in the cast are basically fresh, scrub, clean-looking, all-American-type kids. You know, you look so, <laughs> innocent, so innocent and naive. And here you're up on stage with these cute little puppets getting into some really adult well, stuff. Well, <laughs> and you know, we could not get away with it as ourselves. I mean, I think if Stephanie and I
2: were to, mm-hmm. were to stand there and sing Everyone's a Little Bit Racist... Without the puppets. Without the puppets, we'd get vegetables thrown at us. You know what I mean? I mean, it'd be one of those things. People certainly wouldn't. Take it as jokingly. In fact, um, Bobby and Jeff, our composers, when they were uh, working the show in the BMI workshop, which is where they met, and they would have to perform it in front of their class. Oftentimes, they'd come in and just sing the, sing the songs as themselves, and people wouldn't laugh. They'd be offended by it, or really? they, you know, they they, they wouldn't they'd be kind of off-put by it. Um, but then, as soon as you brought on the puppets, hmm. people laughed at it because you know the puppets are such an abstract mm-hmm. thing. You can you can they, you can make them whatever. You know, race, color, whatever you want them to be. I mean, they may be purple, but you could assume that that means that they're of whatever ethnicity you choose, or any right. you know, any background or any culture. So it's it's kind of nice because it doesn't limit you. You know, it, there's there's nothing in our show that really is so specific that you can't identify with it. And I think that you know, if Stephanie stands out there on stage as herself, you know, Stephanie's this beautiful
3: brunette. Lady, oh,
2: you know geez. So,
3: well you are.
2: Oh, so, so, so who's to say we're that,
3: on radio and uh, she's about six feet tall? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Thank you, I love it.
3: I'll
2: keep I'm going. more radio. Um, I've yeah, got exactly. a face
1: for radio.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know, you you can you know you you immediately identify with Stephanie or you don't. And same with myself, you either immediately identify with what I look like or you don't. But with a puppet, it can kind of be whatever you want it to be, and you can yeah. identify with it or not. You know, and 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 I think that that allows a lot more into the spectrum of, of things.
0: The two of you perform some songs together in the show. Why don't we pick one and we'll we'll play it and t- set it up for us. Tell us what the song is and, and how it works in the show. Should
2: we mixtape?
1: Yeah, that's a good one to start with. Yeah, mixtape's um, good. Actually, this is the first song that sort of helps set up the rocky love story between Kate Monster and, and Princeton. Um,
2: they've met. At they've this they've point. met and um, Kate
1: is very love starved and wears her heart on her sleeve and you know, she's she's one of those independent women who'd really like a fella. <laughs> I mean she doesn't want her life to be defined by a relationship but but boy, would would she like to find a guy, uh, <laughs> kind of like Rosemary and Mary Richards and Rhoda, all wrapped up into uh-huh, one. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Princeton, well,
2: he's just moved to, to the Avenue, and he's you know he's met K Monster. He likes her. He think he thinks she's really cute. But um, Princeton's I, in my opinion, never had a girlfriend before that's serious. And you know he just graduated college, and so you know the last girl he was with was probably someone he met at a toga party. He doesn't really think <laughs> like that. Um, and so he kind of comes in, and, and I mean the song is kind of self explanatory, mm-hmm. but. But he doesn 't really realize that he 's setting himself
3: up and that, and that he 's kind of giving Kate a false impression of what he 's looking for
0: Stephanie debruzzo and John Tartaglia as Kate Monster and Princeton from Avenue Q at XM 28 on Broadway. Let's talk about the two of you as people, not as uh, not as uh, Kate Monster <laughs> and not as uh, Princeton or anybody else.
1: We're people. Wow. We're Who people. Knew? Uh,
0: you, you were talking before, Stephanie, about in school, you were, in college, you were making puppets and all that. Yeah. Did you, did you, did you, do you guys study puppetry? I mean, where does one go for a degree in puppetry, or well, did you just study something
1: there, else? the I- University of Connecticut does offer really, a, an accredited uh, degree in uh-huh. puppetry. Covers all forms of puppetry. art. Um Marionette and Shadow and Boon Rakou and, and it's 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 a very intensive program. Um I, I did not go there. I sort of I went to Northwestern and I actually studied radio TV film production. Really? That was my <laughs> dirty little secret. I was not a theater major there. Um I I had thought about pursuing theater, but you know, sort of common sense gets the better of you when it comes to your parents telling you to pursue a real career. I mean, nobody ever discourages you, but nobody says, go on, be an actor! Um, So, I fell in love with production, but I was still performing. I I did some some small radio DJing, improvisation, music, writing. Uh, I was a character actor who got tired of being typed by the way she looked. And puppetry sort of occurred to me as a way to combine all of these things together, and it didn't matter what I looked like. Mm -hmm. And I was... Like I said, when I said I was dabbling in it, it wasn't something that I was serious. I mean, I didn't know how serious I was. I would have liked to have worked for the Muppets, but I didn't know. The one thing I didn't have was actual manipulation experience. I, I taught myself. I watched documentaries. I watched Sesame Street. I did everything I could to learn how it was done, how it was taped, what where the microphones went on the puppeteers' heads, every possible... uh, how to work off of a television monitor the way the Muppets do. And um, I found that I picked it up well and the puppets that I built were really just a means to an end because Mm -hmm. you couldn't go to a store and, and buy a puppet of your very own. So it just happened the way it happened. And it's been great for me because it's allowed me to play characters I would never get cast as as myself. It's allowed me to play species. I am not. And chickens and sheep and three and bean number three and tomatoes and (laughs) Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother. I mean, numbers and letters and and it's been fabulous. Um, It's also sort of been a double-edged sword in the fact that because I've devoted so much of my life to puppetry and voiceovers, which primarily exist in children's television, you know, there's a huge stigma there. People look at my resume and say, okay, so uh, what real acting have you done? Mm -hmm. It is acting. I mean, people say, are you an actor first or a puppeteer first? Well, a puppeteer is an actor. Um, If you're doing the kind of puppetry that we're doing, there are a lot of puppeteers who work in film who are animating a finger on an alien in Men in Black or or working the mouth. But even that, I mean, people say that animators in animation are co-acting a character mm-hmm. with the voiceover sure. artist. Well, we're doing the voiceover acting and the manipulating all at the same time to create a fully realized performance, but... It's There's a stigma there.
0: So when you fill out your, your tax form, they ask for occupation, that little box. i put performer. Down? Performer.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it covers all the bases. It,
3: it, you're right. John, mm-hmm. how'd you get into it?
0: Uh, I actually,
2: my parents are both in the arts. My mom's an actress and my father's a pianist and a musical director. Um, so I've been involved in theater and performing all my life. I mean, as young as I can remember, I was putting on Really bad one man shows, and you know, using my my bedroom doorway as a as a stage. Um, and puppetry, I kind of fell into when I was about eight years old. I I fell in love with the TV show Fraggle Rock, which was a Jim Henson series that I just really loved and the reason I loved it was not so much of the puppets but because of the performances because it was um, a show even though it was for children they dealt with such issues and it was really in my opinion one of the few children's shows that, that, that wasn't afraid to go to fear and afraid to go with uh, longing and lost and those things that oftentimes children's television nowadays stays away from um, so I was really into the fact that you could bring these characters to life so much and that this was a way to do that um, so I started building my own puppets and kind of like Stephanie said I, I started taping every single episode of every Muppet show and and going to the library and looking for books about them and and just learning as much as you could Um, because this kind of puppetry is not one that you can really be trained in. Even the University of Connecticut, which offers such an amazing um, uh, program, does not really concentrate on this kind of puppetry, A, because it's still pretty new, um, you know, it's only been around for the last 40, 50 years at the most, and also just because it's 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 kind of a specific, you ha- kind of have to have the means to practice it. You know, I, I remember being about 11 or 12 and begging my parents for a video camera so that we could hook it up to the TV and I could learn how to work with the monitor, which is how we do it on, on Sesame Street and the Muppets. Um, so I just started working and performing and, and um, I was... Was very lucky. I started working with the Muppets when I was 16. So I, I really got in there very early. When I was 18, I moved here to New York City and worked on Sesame Street. Um, at that time, pretty much full time. So um, it's kind of a, an art that you learn by doing. And, and for me, I've always had a passion as an actor and a puppeteer. It's never been one or the other. Some, some puppeteers are just puppeteers and that's what they do. And some actors obviously are just actors. And I always loved both. I always thought that when I wasn't acting, I was puppeteering. When I wasn't puppeteering, I was acting because it gave me two different outlets to put my creativity into.
0: No, I'm,
3: I'm sort of fascinated because um, through Avenue Q, yes. you've had enormous opportunities. I, I made a comment to you, John, beforehand. You know, Suddenly, I've seen your photo at so many benefits. You're yes. being asked to come and perform things. Stephanie, you may have been doing that as well. Um, uh, John, you did Hollywood Squares? Yes. Stephanie did one pyramid. of the Pyramid shows? Yeah. But when you're doing these shows, you are going with one of the puppets. Yes, uh-huh. it
1: was so hard. And
3: how how is that for you? Because people people want you, but they want the puppet. Are they looking for John and Stephanie? Are they looking well, for Kate
2: and Princeton? I look at it as, as a compliment, you know. Because for me, it's it's if I'm doing that good of a job making you believe in my character and you want him to live outside of the show and, and and interact as a real person, that means I'm doing something right. You know, to me, uh, you know, it, it's it's definitely um, more difficult because you are, you are being asked to perform in character on a show like Hollywood Squares where everyone else is kind of just being themselves. Um, so that makes it a little bit more difficult, but I actually enjoy it. You know, it's kind of fun. I think it makes it a little bit more different. It makes you stand out a little bit more. Um, you know, what, one of the things that's been kind of a relief to me was doing Avenue Q. I was afraid, as Stephanie said before, there is a huge stigma between puppeteers and actors. Um, and and I've been lucky enough to work in both. But there's but there's definitely been times in my past where I've gone into an audition and people have looked at my resume and said, "Oh, you're a puppeteer," and just basically. They're done with me. Um, So the fact that most of the things I've done outside of Avenue Q have been myself or I've been asked as John Tortaglia the actor, or or gotten offers as an actor means a lot to me because it means that obviously people aren't looking at us as just people shaking dolls and doing voices, that they're looking at us as performers who happen to have that talent, but we're not limited to that. So, but to answer your question, I, I love, I mean, Hollywood Squares was a lot of fun and I think it's kind of fun to take the characters out of their element.
1: Pyramid was a little harder to do with Kate.
2: You have to use your hands. You
1: get it? Well, yeah. I mean, in the first round, you can use your hands. Well, one of them is up Kate. Plus, I'm giving... There's a phrase you don't hear in every interview. Plus, I'm having to give the clues in character, because they want to, you know, and plus, since these are television, since this is a style of puppetry that's made for television that we're used to looking on monitors for, but we don't for the show, I couldn't see what the puppet was doing. So there are times, and I I watched the rerun of the show, I'm like, dead puppet, dead puppet, Look at the <laughs> dead puppet, dead puppet, <laughs> dead puppet. You
3: should and describe what that means. Know, where, is, where is, of course, the, perp- the person that you're playing opposite just cares that they get the clues. <laughs> Absolutely the concerned right. about your technique. Yeah, well,
1: and, and it helped that I did well actually because the contestants actually said to me afterwards, they said we were all kind of really nervous about finding out that there's going to be this pup, this girl with this puppet. But then we saw your first show, and we're like, oh, fine, I want her. Um, <laughs> but you know, I also I know that, for example, pyramid was was a press commitment, was a publicity commitment. I mean, that's why these things exist. That's why talk shows exist. They're plug fests. That's how you get the book, the movie, the television show, the Broadway show out there. So, when I'm doing appearances with Kate and asked to do them with Kate, yeah, I know why. Um, Certain things get frustrating when it comes to things that would normally be on my own time. There are a lot of people who ask puppeteers questions like, "So, do you put the puppet to sleep at night? <laughs> do you take the puppet home with yes. you? Do you miss the puppet on your day off?" Um,
3: they're tools.
1: They're yeah. They're they're props. We're going
3: to skip those now. of yeah. Course. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Cut technically,
1: you know, according to Iotti, they're uh, they're uh, they props, but um, they're also, you know, I I. I care about the character, but I don't pat the puppet. I don't, you know. You'd have to put me in Bellevue. I'm not insane. <laughs> well, and so it's... there are people who already have that misconception. So that if we go to an event with a puppet on our arm, there are some people who might raise an eyebrow and say, "So do they take it everywhere?" And that's mm-hmm. sort of what I try to battle—that feeling of promoting the show and getting the characters out there. Because really, this is my first Broadway show. I know I'm not a name. I know I'm nobody, but Kate is somebody. But also trying to protect myself from being seen as some sort of lunatic... And some of the frustration too—they don't make Harvey Firestein go to award shows dressed in drag.
2: And I think, and I mean, a lot of the reason of that is because of the fact that it, this is a, a first-time kind of thing. Sure. You know, it's it's kind of the same reason why, when they can, they bring Audrey to to an event because it's it's an element that can live outside of the theater. You know, like Stephanie was about to say about Harvey Firestein. You know, you're not going to ask Harvey to go around in drag as Ed Turnblad doing interviews, but that's also because it it's he that's he's still an actor with just a couple things on his body to make him look different, you know, and play a different character. We're, you know, the puppets actually physically do exist without us, and I think that that's part of the reason people want to see them.
1: Well, also, they're attractive to look at. They're fun to look at. I mean, it, it is eye candy. It's fun. Audrey, too. Eye candy. Fun. It identifies the show. You see Kate's face. You see Rod's face. You know it's Avenue Q. You see my face. You don't necessarily know it's Avenue Q. So believe me, that I understand. Although there's a
0: definite resemblance between you and Kate Monster. Just the haircut, the really. Haircut, the same little clip well, in your Princeton hair. Well, Princeton has the same oh, hair as well, I do. Now, 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 which one of you copied the other? Did you copy her, or she copy you? Oh, she totally copied you. Steph. No,
1: well, it, it, you know, it, it's function. <laughs> the clips are total function because I don't have bangs and Kate doesn't have bangs, so hair would just end up in right. our faces. And especially with me, um, I, I tried headbands. They said that that didn't quite work. Um, Kate. There are a couple of Kates that don't have the clips, and like the wedding Kate, her uh-huh. hair is up, at, and the, the, the post-coital Kate doesn't have any clips <laughs> in, so the hair looks different. <laughs> Date Kate doesn't have any clips in, so her hair looks different. But uh, the haircut, really, yeah, everybody says, did they make Kate to look like you? And Kate was designed before we even did the first But I readings. do think,
2: though, that, that they were, like, I, like, Princeton has kind of morphed into looking a lot more like me than he did originally.
1: I think it's like when owners start looking like their pets. That's
0: exactly well, that, what that, that's saying. probably <laughs> it, too. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you, you've been together too long with these puppets. I don't look it. a thing like Lucy.
1: So, no. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because people,
2: people, just to go on what Stephanie was saying before about the characters, you know, we're so unsentimental with the puppets. I mean, because we can't be, because of time, because, you know, we're literally throwing puppets on and off our hands to get, our cues, but also because it you know I people say do you do you do you relate to Rod and Princeton? do you feel you know and the thing is I go home and i 'm John you know, but i get I get to the theater and I become rod and princeton and and i the characters are definitely a part of me because I think any actor there's a that, that character's inside of you somewhere I mean that's part of the gift of acting, I guess, but as far as the puppets go. I put take that puppet off, and I don't think about it at all. You know, it it is a, like like a tool, and people I think are shocked to find that out. Even even with the Muppets, it's kind of like that. You know, it's the first week or two you work on Sesame Street, and you're holding Cookie Monster, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my god, I'm I'm holding Cookie Monster, holding
1: and, a national treasure.
2: Yeah, I'm holding a national, a national <laughs> treasure. And then you know, then after a while, it just becomes a tool. You 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 know, you go, oh yeah, here's Cookie. You put them on. You do you do your bit. You know, if you're assisting Cookie, whatever you're doing, and you know, it, you, there's times when I have to remind myself. That, that these are characters, you know, and in our show too, that people are so they fall in love with and they're familiar with it. And there, there are times when people say, you know, what, the, what I, I, you know, like, I can't meet the, the, the puppet. And it's so funny to hear that because you forget that's I guess that's true. I guess people look at the characters
0: as so real that they believe that the actual physical puppet is real. Right, because the the, the visible puppet looks mm-hmm. like a human being in one way or sure, another. But but sure. There's but, but it's kind of like, like an artist's paintbrush. Without the artist's talent, the paintbrush right. would just be an inanimate object, right. thing with the puppet. The, w- with, without you creating the character, mm-hmm. there would be no character. Mm-hmm. There'd just be an image that resembles Thank whatever you. the character yeah. is. But there's a great dynamic with puppets.
3: I once saw a demonstration by Kevin Clash mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Elmo to, to the, for the audience. And as long as that puppet was on Kevin's arm. It was. He l- could l- not help but make it completely alive. Shit. Yes, and he, I noticed he kept wanting to take it off. Because it was, it was almost, it, it was almost like that movie Magic with with, uh, <laughs> with with Anthony Hopkins, where where it does, he has to animate it, he has to give it oh, life sure. as long as it's on the arm, and that is what's so extraordinary it's about so what un- you all yeah. do. Well, it's like and
1: an, it's also just as unattractive to have literally a dead puppet on your arm because that's what <laughs> it looks like.
2: Well, and you're trained. I mean, it's people always ask, like, how do you? How do you know to keep it alive or how do you keep improving with it? How do you come up with things? And the thing is you're kinda of, that's part of your training when you're working in this kind of puppetry. And we all, we also learn from the best. I mean when you're working with Frank Oz and, and Dave Goles and, and Carol Spinney and Kevin Clash, I mean, you know, that's what they do. They're some of the best comedians, some of the best um, manipulators in the business. And you know, a lot of people think puppetry is just shaking the doll around and opening its mouth, and it's not. You're you're trying to create a, a completely alive being, you know, and that's, you know, that's all up to you. It's it's kind of like, you know, it's your it's your job to make sure that the character's eyes are focusing on the person it's talking to. It's your job to make sure that the hands aren't just flailing, that they're gesturing the way humans would. And, you know, as a puppeteer, it kind of becomes Sixth Sense. You know, I don't really think too much when I'm on stage with Princeton or Rod about, you know, what am I doing with the puppet? Well,
1: I, I, don't, I don't think about it, but lately I, I try to Oh, you know, sure, like if, oh, like, sure. Because if I let it go, then a lip flap goes or something. Mm-hmm. But I've actually had people ask me, do you ever forget the puppet isn't real? <laughs> and I say, I'm working too damn hard to forget <laughs> that the puppet isn't real.
0: It is a real puppet.
1: I mean, it's, I mean, you know, yeah. yeah it's a Kate puppet. does not just float off and talk by herself. Right, right. I wish she could for the sake <laughs> of my arm eight <laughs> nights a week. But, I mean, and it's very flattering, and I always try to take those comments as often ignorant as they may be as flattery because it is our job and always has been our job, whether it's television or theater, to make you forget that somebody is making that move. But on the other hand, Anything that's done well looks easy.
2: Well, and also people, uh, uh, you know, for me, it's like I, I take it as a compliment because I think that, again, it's people believe those characters are so real. I mean, and what what actor doesn't want that? You know, it's as much as like, you know, sitcom actors get, get, get trademarked into that character. Mm-hmm. It's a compliment to them. It means that people really believe in that character. And I've always thought that. I always think that if, I, if I'm blessed enough someday to land, a, you know, a, a national... Treasure, as Stephanie says, or like a, you know, a character like Jerry Seinfeld or George Costanza or whoever, you know, people who just they they only identify them with that character. I'm sure as an actor, it might be frustrating, but when you look at it, it's such a greater good because people really believe in what you do and they love what you do. And but
1: so then the frustration comes when people have said to me, "Well, you can't sing without a puppet, can you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like it's my magic
1: feather in Dumbo that makes me able to sing." I have actually had people say that to me, or I've had people say to me, "Well." Hopefully they'll write another puppet musical that you can be in.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I'm thinking, wow, have I not proven anything to you? But it, it is what it is. It's the beast that it is. And fortunately, there are more intelligent people who speak to me than unintelligent people who speak to me. So, But once in a while, I mean, you will hear things like that. And you do realize, okay, the puppet is very powerful. The character is very powerful you just have as an actor i suppose you always have to prove yourself we had to prove our abilities to be able to do this show we had to prove our abilities that we could hold our own with any other broadway actor in any other broadway show in the show we had to prove that we could make these characters come alive now we kind of have to prove that john and stephanie can be John and Stephanie, and well, one of and be- create another character that maybe isn't made of fur that's just as compelling.
2: Well, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten, and I've luckily been gotten it often, is when I come out of the stage door and people say, "Did you have to learn how to puppeteer to do this show?" Mm because it mm-hmm. means that they're not looking at me as a puppeteer who sings. They're looking at me as an actor right. who sings and dances and acts guess, yeah. who might have learned how to puppeteer. And that's, you know, sometimes I think, wait, are they saying my puppetry isn't good? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, in, in a way, it's, it's almost like that's the greatest compliment because that means that, that, that people are, are not looking at me as just a puppeteer. I mean, to me, this show is a gift because it, it not only is it, is it such an honor to be on Broadway, but it's also because people are getting a chance to look at maybe an art that they never, ever thought could be anything more than just on television, or they never thought it was anything more than kid stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're going to look at it from an adult's point of view. And the fan letters that that that, that I've gotten are not from kids, they're from adults. You mm-hmm. know, people write the characters and sometimes me fan letters, and it's kind of funny to see that, you know, and, and you see people with their Avenue Q t-shirts and their Avenue Q playbills and, and their pro- programs, and you realize that, you know, they're really, it's, it's great to see, like, you know, a, a 65, 70-year-old man waiting at the stage door, who love the show that much. I mean, and the fact that we're not just reaching our demographic, which you could argue was 20s to 30s. The fact that we have people from 99 to sometimes even 10 years old coming to see the show and they just, they fall in love with those characters and I, I love that. I mean, that's my favorite part of being an actor.
1: What's even more amazing to me is that, I would think that it would not be easy, but, you know, when you have a character like Elmo or Cookie Monster where you don't see the puppeteer manipulating and you don't see what goes on behind the curtain, it is much easier to make it seem like that character exists on its own. Um, Even when I watch an episode of Sesame Street that I worked on and I was there and I know what happened below the camera, I don't see what happens below the camera. But the fact that people come to our show and they see the strings, they see the rods, they see all of our tricks out on display and they still believe <laughs> that Kate is a separate entity, that that says a lot, it, says yeah. a lot to me. Yeah. More than anything else.
0: Well, you are both talking a moment ago about part of your job is to do whatever. Part of my job is to be sure we hear another song from <laughs> your show. <laughs> oh, good. There's one I think you both perform on Fantasies Come True. Yes. It? Yes. Yeah.
2: This is uh, Rod, um, who's the closeted investment banker, lives with Nikki, who's his best friend. And... Um, Nikki, in in the early part of the show, sings a song called If You Were Gay, kind of taunting Rod. So we get a little taste of their relationship, and that's basically their relationship. He's always teasing Rod, and Rod's always kind of, oh, Nikki. That's his voice. Um, (laughs) And so in this bit, uh, they're both laying in bed, and and Nikki's supposedly asleep, and Rod hears him muttering things, and, and, um, well, it'll speak for itself.
1: And uh, at the same time, Kate and Princeton have had their first date. They've both gotten incredibly drunk, had a whopping night of passion, and this is sort of the aftermath of that happening the pillow simultaneously. Talk.
0: <laughs> okay. From Avenue Q, Stephanie DeBruzzo and John Tartaglia. You mentioned you were both uh, alumni of Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spend a, a minute or two telling us about behind the scenes of Sesame Street. Wow, stuff I, that you can say in public on the. On the radio.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. I won't be legally bound. I think. Um, you know, Sesame Street is is just it's 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 a, it is an institution. People say that it's true. It's it's.
0: Y- you mentioned during the break, thirty five years. It's been thirty season thirty five years, 35 yeah.
1: started airing last month. It's airing right month. now.
2: It, this is the thirty fifth year, and it's wow. it's kind of amazing because, you know, when you go and work there it's a job and, and you, you know but there's times when you look up and you see these people who you, I personally grew up with mm-hmm. and it's kind of a shock it's like you know Sonia who plays Maria is a coworker of mine and a friend but I often look up and I, and I while I'm puppeteering I go oh my god I'm working with Maria she was my best friend when I was a kid mm-hmm. um you know, and it's what's, what's amazing to me is the fact that the show is not just here in America. The fact that it's in so many different countries and touching so many children. Children in, in nations who, who literally cannot go to school because there is no school are watching Sesame Street and being educated by it. And I think that that – I hold that as a great honor that I get to be part of that in whatever capacity. You know, sometimes even if I'm just chicken number four, um, you know, if I'm making one kid laugh, that means something to me.
1: It's an amazing experience the first time you walk out onto that set – first time I walked onto the set I, I didn't walk across it I walked on the sidewalk the, the whole way it curves <laughs> I wanted to literally walk down Sesame Street it, not just the cast but but the crew our, our camera one operator has been there since day one wow. Bob McGrath who plays Bob day one Carol Spinney day one uh, Loretta Long, who plays Susan, day one. It's an amazing... The show is older than I am, but I was lucky to have sort of grown up in the golden age, in the 70s, uh, with Sesame Street, and, you know, when it was uh, revolutionary and and uh, when it didn't look or sound like anything else on television. And um, it's it's a thrill and an honor to... It's kind of like being on Broadway. Even if I do nothing else with my life, my obituary will say, Sesame Street Muppeteer appeared on Broadway. What else can you ask for as a person or an actor or, or anything?
0: And you both made your Broadway debuts in Avenue Q. Yes. which yes. is quite heady to be on a Broadway stage. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think is next for you? When, you know, Whoever sure, asks sure.
1: me to dance, I'll dance. Sure, My yeah. phone number is
2: 212. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, the show has really been great because, as I said earlier, it's opened up a lot of doors and people have been looking at us as, as serious artists, which is so great. I mean, for me, by, you know, when, when I was like 17, people would say, what's your dream? You know, what, what, is, what's your, what do you want to do when you grow up? Quote, unquote. And I would always say, I want to be a puppeteer for the Muppets and I want to be on Broadway. So the fact that I've achieved both of them by my age, is kind of scary. It's like, woo, okay. Um, Got to set new goals. Yeah, I and I have, which is good. It took me a while, but I, I figured it out. And for me, um, I've been lucky enough to get some offers to do other stuff after the show, and and um, you know, there's some television in the works and things like that. And I'm just kind of playing the
3: field and seeing what's out there. And
2: and I, I hope to stay with the show for a while. So you know, we'll see.
3: And you've already been doing the show for how long? And it's very in, boo, the workshops and performance uh, four, four years. years. Yeah, and in fact, well, it's been on Broadway since uh, well, we started previews in July,
2: um, and uh, we started we opened off Broadway in March of last year, and we've been yeah, Stephanie and I've been there since the very first reading and workshop. So it's really been kind of like a it's like our baby. You know, you, you, we get very protective of the show, and and um, very there's never been a night for me personally that I've gone out out on stage and not given 100 percent because to me it's like I feel like the show is, has. I owe the show that, you know, we've worked, we've all worked collectively so hard to get it where it's gone. And so, and so for me, it's like, it's an honor to go out there on stage and perform and give everything I have. And that it's never work that I'm, that I regret. Like I don't go home and go, Oh, that was such a hard night. You know, it's like, Oh, that felt great. Cause I got it out, you know? And, and I don't know. I think we, I think we both just, sometimes we, we look at each other and go, I can't believe we're here.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, the best part for me, and I I sometimes don't even realize it until I do the benefits or the appearances or things like Easter Bonnet, is really feeling like a part of the Broadway community. Even if it's only for this season, even if it never happens again, Mm. like I was here, I've met these people, they treat me like I belong. The other great part has been meeting uh, people writing new music. Hearing new songs, hearing new things. I would love to be involved in another new show. I think that's some of the most exciting work an actor can do is take something that doesn't exist and bring it to life. Um,
2: Well, we're spoiled that way.
1: We're spoiled that way, but... (laughs) But no, 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 but, but but not... I wouldn't say it's spoiled though, because there's a lot of stuff that, yeah, and there's and there's a lot of good stuff that never makes it. But even the stuff that doesn't make it, the 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 being in the workshop, the doing, the the trying, the failure, that's all great too. It's not just the success that's fun. I love hearing new stuff. I love being the first person to sing a song, even if it doesn't become a hit, even if it doesn't become anything. Being the first person to sing a new song, mm-hmm. um, and we've kind of gotten to do that on Sesame Street, but it's not the same.
2: Well, and, and also the, the show, our director often says he says you guys have such an, an uh, uh, I don't say odd, I think he says unique experience with the show in the sense that most shows as an actor. The show has been written and developed, and things have been created. And you walk in and you pick up the script. And either you're right for that role. Or you're not. You know, for us, we've been there since literally the birth of the show. You know, we've we've been there through every rewrite. We've been there through every workshop, every single everything. You know, that a lot of actors don't get that chance to be part of. So, you know, it, we are we are close to the show. And so, um, for me, it's going to be interesting walking into a project which I have since then where you're not part of it. And it's 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 interesting because you you. Mm-hmm. I still find myself investing in it because that's what you're supposed to do as an actor, but there's a difference. I mean Princeton and Rod are parts of me now and they probably always will be. So it's it's
1: But at the same time I love taking something and trying to make it trying to make it work. That happens all the time on Sesame Street. You you get cast as girl number three, you see what the puppet looks like and you try to make it work with what you've got. Um even just doing the plays in high school and college, or or trying to you know take a character that that's that's written for somebody else, but trying to make it work for you, that's a fun challenge too, I and mean, that's a blast. Or trying to take on a classic character and make it your own. I mean, how much fun? How much fun is it to do what we do? It's 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 hard. I mean, I'm not going to eight shows a week is the hardest thing I've ever done, and I have never had this much consistent work ever in my career. I mean, television only tapes five days a week, and I don't have year-long work. Nobody <laughs> does. We're—I lo- mean, who—who who wouldn't love a steady gig? But man, it's difficult. And if I didn't love it, I'd go nuts. I'll never. Thank for- God we love it.
2: I'll never forget the first time—or not the first time—opening night, which is my first opening night <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember—I um, I was telling the story to someone. I was telling the story to someone recently that when I, was eight, when I first moved to the city when I was 18, I bought the, the CD of Rent because it opened that year and that was like the new thing and I was like obsessed with it. And I remember I'd put it in my um, CD player and I would literally at 8 o'clock at night act out the whole show in my apartment because I wanted to be on Broadway so bad. And I was like, that's what it's going to feel like. And there was always at the end of the show I'd imagine like taking my bow and looking out at the audience. And I remember opening night. Um, when I got to that point in the show, and I got so teary-eyed, and I and I and I just couldn't control it because it was like there were all my friends and family, and there I was making my Broadway debut. And there's, I think there's still that moment every day for me, like when I walk to the theater and I walk in the stage door. I'm like, oh my god, I'm walking in a Broadway theater stage door. I'm, I'm part of that. And so um, I don't know. For for me, that, that that's something that I I just treasure every day. And I think that I think that everyone should do that <laughs> we should every actor should remind themselves who's working how lucky they are to be working
0: and how lucky we are to have you guys and the rest of your cast on stage it's just a delightful show thank, thank you. you our hour has just galloped right past Wow I sure can't has. believe we've wow. been chatting for an hour already it's, I'm it's Italian amazing.
1: I talk a lot sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we both are
0: we both are <laughs> but we thank you both very much for joining us today at XM28 on Broadway and please come back and visit us we we would anytime. Love to. I'm John von Seusten at XM28 on Broadway. I'm Howard Sherman from the American Theater Wing. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of Downstage Center.